0: You are listening to the podcast from Isaiah Church. Stay tuned off to it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Well, happy Good Friday to you all. My name is Carrie Stevens. Morgan Stevens, who usually stands here, is my husband. I am an author, I'm a speaker, I'm a community group leader here, and I already crying. I really, really love this church. (sighs) Worship kind of did me in. Okay. I may have to stay out there next time. (sighs) Honestly, if we're all really honest with ourselves, we kind of like Easter better than Good Friday, right? I mean, every year I'm sort of tempted to avert my gaze from the images of Good Friday and just fast forward through the weekend to get to Easter Sunday. Because Easter Sunday is so happy. Good Friday needs a video to convince us we should still call it Good Friday. So I assume since you're here, you have shaken off any temptation you have to fast forward through today and let Good Friday do what Good Friday does best, which is invite us to stand beside the people who witnessed Jesus' sacrifice so long ago. And that's what I would like to do tonight. We're going to begin with reading Luke's account of the end of that first Good Friday from Luke 23. By now it was noon. The whole earth became dark, the darkness lasting three hours, a total blackout. The temple curtain split right down the middle. Jesus called out loudly, Father, I place my life in your hands. Then he breathed his last. When the captain there saw what happened, he honored God. This man was innocent, a, me- a good man and innocent. All who came around as spectators to watch the show when they saw what actually happened were overcome with grief and headed home. Those who knew Jesus well, along with the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a respectful distance and kept vigil. That's Luke 23, 46 through 49. There's a quote from a devotional by Barbara Johnson that sort of validates our discomfort with Good Friday while also offering us a glimmer of hope. She said that we are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. And if it isn't a Good Friday world out there, right? What is Good Friday really? But an opportunity to stand here and face a world that's full of injustice and suffering and ask God to make sense of it. We have a pandemic. We have war. We have disease, inflation, homelessness, we have problems like racism that are still very real for a lot of us. And we have the comment section on any article you ever look at online to prove to us that it is a Good Friday world. Maybe like the people in Luke 23, you came to see the show and you kind of want to go home because you're so grieved by what you've seen. Or maybe you came and you, you're seeing the, what's so horrible and all the injustice and you're trying really hard to find the strength to hold vigil given what you're watching. I'd like to invite all of us to hold vigil together. I want us to stay in the tension of Good Friday because that's what we're asking our souls to do, and that's what the people who watched Jesus be crucified did. By the end of this tonight, I unfortunately will not resolve the tension for you (laughs) because Good Friday, it's not a problem to be solved. It's a reality we have to live through as we await redemption and resurrection. So I wanna begin by asking this question, how can we keep Easter hope alive while we hold vigil in our Good Friday world? To answer that question, I would like for us to do a sort of middle school science lab experiment. Okay? We just went away you didn't expect, right? You guys remember middle school lab experiments, you know, when like a wise, brave teacher hands out sharp implements, fire, and caustic chemicals to unpredictable and irrational 13-year-olds? Well, we're going to do that tonight. Sounds like a good time in church, right? Personally, I recall one middle school lab experiment in particular from my days of yore at El Rancho Middle School in Anaheim Hills, California. We were the coyotes. Okay. We, in my class, were going to dissect an earthworm. I had no curiosity at the time as a child about what was inside an earthworm. I did not care. So I knew I had to find trustworthy lab partners to do this experiment with me. And by trustworthy, I mean people who were willing to do all the work for me. I found Robin and Gabriel. Robin and Gabriel had spent every recess during elementary school building habitats for roly polies. <laughs> they were my dream lab partners. Gabriel cut open the earthworm, and Robin notated and removed the necessary parts. I wrote our names very neatly at the top of our lab sheet. And because it was the 1980s, I said things like gag me with a spoon when it was scientifically necessary. Looking back, I'm still kind of amazed that there were parts inside that worm, like that tiny little thing, and I still, etched in my memory, is the sight of that worm sliced and spread open and pinned down. It's gonna get graphic. I still remember it. I hope that we can all agree that God's creation is majestic and beautiful on the outside, but weird and icky in a fascinating way on the inside. And I hope that that thought gets you really excited for what we're about to do, because I'd like to do a dissection experiment tonight. And the icky but fascinating in a real way kind of stuff is about to get very real for us, because tonight I want to open up the body of Jesus and look at what's in God. And I want to slice open humanity and take a look at what's inside us. And then those two steps in our experiment are going to lead us to another sort of mystery body. And we're going to open that up and see what's inside it too. And hopefully it will grow us spiritually speaking. So let's start with Jesus on the inside. What's inside Jesus? Frankly, when we look into Jesus, what we find is weird and appalling. Sorry, Jesus. According to these words from John 17, when we look inside him, we kind of find a crowd. Just before he was arrested, Jesus had a chat with his heavenly father and he said these words. I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you father are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them And you are in me, so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you've loved me. So Jesus says here, when you open him up, you find God the Father in there. And actually, he's also in God the Father. And we know from Trinitarian theology that also God the Spirit is in Jesus, God the Son, and in God the Father. And there's a lot of stuff in there. And then in verse 21, Jesus invites us, asks the Father to invite us into them okay? Spiritually speaking, followers of Jesus are in God, or in him. I've seen the episode of the Magic School Bus where they go in Ralphie. I don't actually like the idea of being in someone. Christianity is a little weird, when I consider being inside Jesus's body with all the Christians who exist and have ever existed, it just seems really crowded. Yeah? Okay, I hope it does. Um, And also horrifying, given the way some Christians treat each other. My liver would never treat my heart the way some Christians have treated me in my life but we're in there together. All of us in Jesus together is icky in a fascinating way. It's like really good reality TV, right? So here we are. We've opened up Jesus and we found ourselves in him. Certainly the privilege of sharing real estate in Jesus comes with some ramifications. If we turn Jesus's prayer for us into a hypothesis about what it means for us to all be one as he and the Father and the Spirit are all one, we could say this. As Easter people living in a Good Friday world, we have access to the power and resources necessary to walk in love and unity with Christ and with one another. And if our lives just prove this, we've succeeded. We are inside the God of love. Can you even think about that? Like we're in him. We have internal access. Part of the reason the world is so full of Good Friday-ness is because humanity makes it that way. Because we don't access the power and resources we could if we wanted to. How can we find that power? How do we get those resources to be one with our brothers and sisters in Christ in the same way the persons of the Trinity are one? How can we do that? To answer that, we're gonna move to step two in our experiment, and we're gonna cut into humanity by looking inside the first body God ever made. When we read the biblical account in Genesis 2 of the creation of the world, we find this grand tale of a good God who makes lots of good stuff, right? He makes light and water and land and sky, and it's all awesome. And then our triune God, who's three persons in one God, he's like, okay, I'm gonna take some of that stuff I already made that's so good, because he's very pro-recycling our God. And he takes that dirt and he forms the first person. And then God, he looks at this person he's made in his image and he's like, ew, God, Who would want to be alone? Not us. Fix it, Jesus. That was the first fix it, Jesus. Anyways. Nobody gets my joke. I like that one. I'd explain it to Morgan. I should have known it wouldn't work. Okay. So God puts the first person to sleep, right? And he opens up the first person. And he takes part of the first person out, an icky but fascinating part of him out. And he makes what he calls, a new, he makes who he calls a strong helper, a rescuer, right? Can you imagine what it was like for Adam to wake up and it's like, voila, instant community. You've only ever known what it's like to be an only and now you're not. And realizing like I'm in her and she's in me and we're like one but separate. And all, probably blew his mind. The lessons from Genesis 2 are multitudinous. But let's just highlight a few for the sake of time tonight. Inside the first human, we find our need for community and connection is inherent to our very existence. Secondly, our relationship with our loving God was not enough to fulfill Adam's relational need, even in a perfect sinless garden. And God alone will never meet our needs in this broken world. We need other people. Third, community is costly and painful to create. Fourth. We should never ignore what is not good in us, because often what is not good is where God begins his redemptive, salvific work in our lives. Okay, so if we are in God and we have this deep need for connection and community within ourselves, why isn't unity easier to create? That's the question that arises, right? Why isn't this easier? It seems like God kind of made it this way on purpose. Okay, we're going to look at what happened after God cut into Adam to better understand who humanity is in the larger spiritual narrative of creation, community, and redemption. That's the only way we'll understand why we're not good at this, okay? Because we've missed something. All right, let's begin by acknowledging there are barriers blocking humanity's ability to walk in unity. The biggest barrier by far is sin. As Christians, we believe God is all-knowing. What that means for us in this particular context is that when God opened up Adam's body to create the first human community, he already knew how things were going to go. Okay? So God broke Adam open, and he already knew Jesus would one day be broken open. He removed Adam's rib from his side already knowing someday Jesus' own side would be pierced. Paul wrote about the connection between Adam and Christ in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Sometimes people point at brokenness and they say, the world just really needs Jesus. And I'm going to tell you right now, I think they're wrong. The world has Jesus. It has God the Father, it has God the Son, it has God the Spirit. Our problems don't exist because of a lack of, God, of, a lack of God's greatness or glory in our midst. We believe God is omnipresent. That means he's always here. The problems in the world are caused by the ways humanity has been broken by sinfulness. Here on Good Friday, we hold this truth. When the first Adam needed divine, relational rescue from aloneness, God opened him up and created another person who could minister to the deep needs caused by aloneness. A rescuer. God used a specific word to describe the second person he ever made. Before she was called woman, before Adam named her Eve, God called her a name he uses often for himself in the Bible, and he called her an Azar. An Azar is God's strategy for creating unity, relational care, and strong bonds of love and belonging. In chapter 23 of his gospel, Luke only specifically mentions one group of people who stay at the cross, the women who followed him from Galilee. How were those women able to stand watching someone they love go through that? How did they summon the courage to bear witness and hold vigil? Why didn't they pack it up and go home? I want to suggest to you today that the example of the women who refused to abandon Christ on Good Friday in his suffering are the people we ought to emulate when confronted with the suffering we witness in our Good Friday world. Those women had been rescued. They knew Jesus as their as their. They financially supported him. They had been delivered of demons. They had been healed of sicknesses. They had begun to believe things about themselves and about God that made it impossible for them to return to their correct places in society. Where, where else do they have to go? There's nowhere else for them to go. Jesus had changed them so much they didn't fit anywhere but at the cross. To be an Azair for someone, you have to know that you are a part of them and they are a part of you. Their struggle is your struggle Their fight is your fight. Their pain is your pain. Their victory is your victory, and vice versa. There's no unity without Azers, and there's no one to care for the body of Christ without Azers. When the body of Christ is opened up, it's natural to want to run away. I doubt there's anyone in this room who hasn't in the last few years wanted to shoot deuces and head home. Some of us left the church because we couldn't stand to watch the body of Christ be beaten and bloodied. Some of us left because it seemed like the church was, sorry, I can't get the word out, self-destructing. But it's time to take our place as a And refuse to run. Because the truth is that what happens to and in the body of Christ happens to and in us. We can't hide from it. Here in our anguish, in what seems not good about the world and about ourselves, we're part of a miracle that only a God like ours can do. Here's the thing. When humanity needed divine rescue from sin, God opened the last Adam up and he created a community that could minister to the deep needs caused by sin. The final mysterious body we're gonna cut into and look inside today is the gathered people of God, the church. Let's look inside that mystery. It's an unfortunate truth that people often show up at their churches as consumers or spectators. They wanna see how Christ's body can either entertain them or serve them. When we regard the church as a machine capable of manifesting the best versions of ourselves, we have forgotten that the church is a who, not a what. If Christ is the last Adam as 1 Corinthians 15 says, then we can consider that the church is the last Eve, the final Azar. After all God reached into Jesus' broken body and he pulled out his blood and he made us. The Bible even refers to the to the church by a different name besides body of Christ, calls us the bride. Just as bride and groom become one, spiritually speaking, Jesus and his church share a body on this earth. We, who are in God, who have been rescued from our aloneness and set free and forgiven of our sins, we are the parts of that body, and our strong, never-ending, azair fueled love for God and for one another is the lifeblood of the church. So to revisit our question, how can we keep Easter hope alive while we hold vigil in our Good Friday world? Three ways. First, through worship. Worship on Good Friday looks like us looking up at Jesus and realizing he's actually looking down at us and saying, hey, love God most of all and love other people more than yourself. That's what I'm doing here. Second, through community. The people we interact with every day are people made in the image of God. You may not like them, but he does. They may only ever experience his love by how you treat them. What if you're the only person who ever loves them? You think God cares about that? Thirdly, through mission. God is calling us to prioritize and value community as a Zairs. People committed to living in a way that proves God sent, the Father God sent his son to birth people by the spirit of God so that we can live forever in him. Can you see how good friday is? is not a problem to be solved, but really it's a sign pointing us. It points us to an opportunity to join Jesus in showing God's great love for the world, in fulfilling his prayer in John 17, being one so the world might know that God loves them. I'd like to do something a little awkward at the end tonight. Can everybody stand up if you're able? I'd like for you to link arms. You don't have to touch hands if you're worried about germs. Um, Link elbows with the people next to you. If you're at home and you're all alone, just hold your arms out. You're still linked with us spiritually. I want us to remember that this is how God sees us. And I want to pray for us. So go ahead and bow your heads. Lord, I ask you to remind us that we all came from you, that we are made of the same stuff you used to make everything. I pray you would show us how that makes us small in the scope of eternity, but also how it makes us infinitely valuable and beloved to you. We thank you for allowing us to share residence in your body, even though it's messy in here, God. Reveal to us how to love others as you have loved us. Make us one, God, as you, Father, Son, and Spirit are one. Help us, God, to love one another well, so the world will know that you sent your Son to prove your love. Thank you for Good Friday, God. Help us to be your Easter people, full of hope for redemption, even as we endure the challenges of this world. We ask all these things in your precious holy name amen thanks for listening for more info about how to get and stay connected to mosaic church please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store